six to nine-year-olds can come and get their clipboards, and the rest of you can turn to Romans 14. People have very different and strong opinions about issues. And those differences come into the church. And they can be divisive in the church. And can be everything from dietary issues to ought to go to homeschool or public school. We recent times whether you ought to vaccine or not or mass or not. Uh, kind of governmental programs whether you ought to drink alcohol or not, uh, whether you ought to sell merchandise or not. You can, you can go through all sorts of different things that divide the church. I saw recently on a PBS station, they were showing about a program designed to take people from very different backgrounds and political positions and to involve them on one-on-one sharing conversation that enabled them to see similar concerns and common ground and in that process enabled them to respect and appreciate the other person and their opinions, even when they still strongly disagreed with them. They, they had similar concerns and issues that affected them. But Christians clearly have common ground. Christ is our Savior and the Lord. He's the one that we should desire to please and to serve. But we often let things divide us that fall under the area of what we often call Christian liberty. Um, the freedom that we have in Christ to do things differently. We often, in fact, get more upset with Christians because we think they ought to know better. We expect other people to think different, but Christians, they ought to know better. They ought to think just like me, right? Because I've got it right. That's, that's how we think most of the time. But God has a plan for the church to be a place of healing harmony for very diverse people. And that's one of the things that you're going to see in Romans 14 today. So we start out in Romans 14, the first four verses. Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable manners. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does. For God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. A similar phrase is put in more general terms at the beginning of Romans 15, 7, which says, accept one another just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. And so there's this basic starting responsibility of accepting one another, to receive one another. The idea is to receive into one's society, into their home, into their circle of acquaintances. It's a picture of favorable reception. Uh, there's not this discrimination respect of esteem or affection. You treat them in a gracious, kind, and impartial manner. Uh, you're welcoming them as brothers and sisters in Christ and appreciating them for who they are, even though they greatly differ from you. And he says the basis of that understanding is God accepted you. Did he accept you because you were perfect? 
Did he accept you because you thought everything, you had everything all figured out and did it the right way? It says, God has received you by his grace into his bond and love and fellowship. And you're to re- pattern your response after his grace because all believers are part of the family of God. And in those families, there are different levels of growth and maturity. And our, our personalities and our backgrounds greatly differ. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad for the diversity of uh, backgrounds and other things? The person you marry, if you're married, you have certain things you have in common, but there's other things you are attracted to because it was different than you. And you appreciated that those differences were a complementary thing, and that's intended to be what's true as part of the body of Christ. Now, in this instance, his focus in the beginning of verse 14 is accept the one who is weak in the faith. So weak, in our thinking, has more to do with immaturity, uninstructed, they haven't come to a full understanding maybe of all the freedoms that they have. And faith here is is referring to convictions about what their faith or belief allows him or her to do. Um, You know, some people, because of their background and some activities they were involved in, for them, they were activities they were involved with that involved sinful activities that when they come to know the Lord, even though that activity in itself wasn't wrong, they associate it with Things they were involved in is wrong, and, and they avoid that. And, and they need to do that for their own sake and their, and their growth. But weak means they don't really understand the full level of liberty or freedom that we have in Christ. That's, there's some immaturity here in relationship to Christ in the church. And just like, so there's certain things that are appropriate for for adults that aren't for kids, they need to grow up and learn some different things and how to handle it. The same thing has to go on in our, in our Christian faith. Um, so the immature tend to be sticklers to rules. Uh, they often me- measure spiritual things by externals, and they identify very strongly with traditions or things they grew up with in their background. And uh, so I'll just throw out a couple of fun things here for you that you'll have strong opinions about. Did you ever hear no running in church? Now why is that? You're not condemned to hell if you run in church, by the way. (laughs) And as a kid, I know more than once, I exited out the aisle with my parents chasing after me. (laughs) Before I moved here, by the way. um, Shouldn't wear a hat in church. Now, I'm picking very neutral type ones in a way. But you have strong reactions to those kinds of things because of some of your backgrounds. And, and you have other things, you know. Some, should you bring coffee into church? You're all looking under your... Is, is the water bottle or my coffee under my... Is that, is that all right? I can remember as a, as a younger... Uh, a believer in our church I was, I was home for a time period and I had my Bible on the floor under my seat and he come and asked me he came from a, a 
Orthodox Jewish background and you treated the Torah with respect, you would have never stuck your Bible on the floor. I mean, that was a totally, you were an unsacred, dis, you know, it just rattled him to think that I would treat God's word that way. Okay, but it's, but it's an external thing that we can have very different backgrounds as to how we approach things. And so there's a danger that he's warning you about in here. The danger is a person that knows their freedoms and, and is mature in their faith has a tendency to look down on and despise or belittle people uh, and treat with disrespect those they disagree with. And, and the other danger is that the weak condemn or judge people. They say, well, anybody that does that is sinful. Um, they're being unchristian and unloving in acting that way. They, if they were really loving, they would never do that kind of thing. Um, and so, here's this little reminder in these verses that our success in Christian life does not depend on the opinion or attitudes of other Christians. It's not that we shouldn't value them, but it doesn't depend on that. So here's the danger. We act as though we have the right to pass judgment on other people by our own standards. It's one thing to judge by God's standards. You should judge by God's standards. But we have a tendency to claim the right to pass judgment on other people by our own standards. And then it reminds you in this verse 4 that the individual is God's servant. His or her standing is determined by God, not by you. And God is able to make that individual stand in the faith even though they differ from you in the things that are going on in our life. Therefore, we have to be disciplined in our response. We have to be careful to reject a centrist or critical spirit. We have to be open to ideas other than our own. Uh, the judgmental attitude has to give way to tolerance and mutual recognition. We can agree to disagree in an agreeable manner. So it was a good exercise for our church this week to have those things on display out back for, for sale. We normally don't do that because as a church, our policy is we support missions and we should support this local church by free will offerings of people who are committed to those ministries. And we've felt justified in doing this because it isn't going to support It's making you aware of a way that you can help support people that are trying to make a living that has brought them out of sinful lifestyles. But it's good for us to reflect on, to interact on, and, and decide, is this appropriate to do at this time? We might choose to do it now and not do it at another time. But in that process, to think through it and to reflect on that kind of issue. And so... There's this reminder, the judgmental attitude has to give way to tolerance and mutual recognition. The other thing as you start coming into verses 5 to 8 is you need to develop biblical discernment. And so here's the reminders. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. 
If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Differences are inevitable. Some of our positions or ideas we hold very strongly, and the reasons behind them are often other than biblical. And so the first thing he says here is you ought to come up with personal convictions. Now, how did you come up with that conviction? So here's one little word of warning. We must always be open to be taught and corrected by God's word. See, there's a lot of things that are preference and personal opinion, and then there's the authority of God's word which it speaks. Those are different areas. And sometimes our traditions and our thinking is not biblical, and we have to have it be corrected by God's word. So we must always be open to be taught and corrected by God's word. But at the same time, there's a right, there's a right doctrine does matter. There's some core biblical issues that if you don't stand on those issues, you aren't a Christian, even if you say you claim to be. You know, if you don't believe in the deity of Christ, if you don't believe in salvation by grace, by faith alone, uh, that's a non-disputable matter that Scripture speaks very clearly on. Um, and so it's not an area of, of tolerance. And there's some other issues that are further down we still hold strong convictions on and we might limit our association. In other words, one of the reasons there's different denominations is there's, even among committed godly Christians, is there's some issues that we have positions that we take that the other person, we don't think they're a heretic or not a believer because they differ, but we feel this is an important enough an area that we're, we can't, be together involved in how we operate in this setting. And so there's levels of association depending on how important some of those issues are. The scripture clearly commands us to do certain things and it forbids us to do other things. You know, for example, individual Christians and the church have the responsibility to confront and restore Christians who are living sinful lives. Our society would tell you that's none of your business. God says if you're part of the body of Christ and you see your brother in sin, you ought to go speak to them about it. Try to restore them. There's a church. You're trying to bring people back into a walk with God. That's a God-given responsibility to other believers as a part of the body of Christ. But many other things are neither condemned or prohibited. God's people have the freedom to do them or not to do them. Even in disputable or non-essential matters, there are biblical principles or values that apply to help us to make wise decisions. And so you still have to, how do I understand these scriptural principles? How do I apply them in this area that isn't doctrinal, but biblical values and principles apply? Maturity in your understanding ought to bring discernment. Each person should be fully satisfied in his or her own mind that their approach to the problem is the best one as they understand it. Uh, but in this process is a reminder that personal persuasion and devotion to the Lord should regulate our lives. Um, now in that process, it's reminding you, you ought to be conscious of the Lord's presence. You ought to be thankful for God's grace the freedom that he's given you, the guidance that he's provided in his word for our life, and that we each one need to see to it that we are really doing these things 
conscious of the Lord and trying to honor him and how we operate and not just merely because that's the way I like it or that's my personal prejudice or opinion. Uh, So our first responsibility always to the Lord. We may differ in specific practices, but we need to act out of sincere regard for a God and a desire to please him. And we need to recognize the Lordship of Christ in all areas of our life. As you come down to verses 9 to 12, it begins to talk about personal accountability. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you, excuse me, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue confess to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. It's to God and not to each other that every believer is ultimately accountable. And he is our Lord. He died and rose again for us. Uh, We ought to be very aware I'm his child and believe it or not, that other Christian is his child. And the Lord loves and died and rose again for them as much as for me. And my commitment is to obey the Lord as I understand that. And he's my judge. There's this individual accountability. You're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. You know, Peter kind of pulled off what we like to do and, and Adam did the same thing. Peter says, well, what about him? And Adam said, well, she's the one that She's the one that made me go wrong. You know? And the Lord's going to say, hey, I'm talking to you. And you're accountable to me for your actions, not what's going on in their life. Now, again, we have responsibilities for others in the body of Christ. But our accountability is to God. Don't assume God's authority. At the same time, don't let sin in our lives keep us from serving the Lord as we should and lose out on the rewards and the blessings that he intends his people to have as they are intentionally living out their lives for him. And then as you come down to verses 13 to 18, he says, Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind and not put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. Now the reason the food issue shows up so often in this particular setting is because in that culture a lot of the meat and things that were sold in the marketplace had been offered to idols first. And some people said, well I could never eat meat that had been offered to some false god. And so because I don't know where it's coming from, I'm not going to eat any meat. I'm going to be a vegetarian. Not because of dietary reasons, but because I don't want to be involved in somehow participating in, in false god worship. And so that's 
the reason. And the other guy said, well, I really know there's no other God anyhow. And that's some of the best cuts and, and the best price, so I'm in for it. And, and that's, you can see the kind of tension that would create in that kind of environment. And so, he, so notice verse 15. He says, are you acting in love? He says, if you're doing it this way, you're not. It says, love is concern for the well-being of others and action toward that end. And, and so be careful about being judgmental. Uh, learn to see the other person's point of view, even when you don't agree with them. We must try to understand and respect where they're coming from, what, what things have influenced their thinking. Uh, Christians very much affect each other by their conduct and their attitudes. And we're wrong for using our freedom without regard to how it affects someone else, especially young or immature Christians. We don't want to hinder them or cause them to stumble or be distressed by our action. Uh, now, again, he's, he's, he's saying to act out a personal conviction. Don't imitate other people. Just do it because other people did it. Christians who are not fully convinced in their own mind that they ought to do something, that it's right for them, they shouldn't do it, even if they see other Christians doing it. So you need to come to your own convictions. One of the fun things is when households within the church family differ on what they think ought to transpire, I can remember a lot of years ago here, we had to come up with a list of rules that anybody in the church could enforce because of what children did in church or in the parking lot. You know, some good rules like no running in the parking lot, no throwing stones. Do you have to? But see, some people said, our kids sit in the church pew next to us and they don't move or they don't do anything and when we walk out, we walk out. It's not right for them to run outside and play. We had some very diverse backgrounds. What we ultimately said is, here's the rules anybody can force. Otherwise, if you think somebody's out of line, you let their parents know and their household has to decide how they're going to operate. Okay. Now that's a very simple area when kids are little. You can come to a lot of agreement. But isn't it interesting when your, comes come home, your kids come home and say to you, how come they get to do this and we're not allowed to at our house? You never run into that, do you? I mean, if it's, un, if it's unchristian, why can they do it? And, and kids always use whatever leverage they can use to you know, try to make you feel guilty so you'll let up on all those wonderful rules and things. But it's a, it's a good part of the process. It's an opportunity for you to, to discuss with them and frame in, here's why we do it. It's a, here's why we feel this honors the Lord and we're going to do it this way in our household. Not everybody has to do it this way. There's some other issues that are just clean, plain biblical because this is what God's word says. Show them where it is in God's word if that's what, that's what it is. Um, but that's part of the growing up process. We need to limit the expression of our liberty out of love for God and for fellow believers. Do you love the Lord and other believers enough that you're going to not necessarily do everything that you would be free to do in, in Christ? Because God's kingdom is not focused on externals, but on relationships. And it says righteousness, peace, and joy. See, God's kingdom is about a right relationship with God, expressed in right conduct and behavior pleasing to God that will cause us to live at peace 
with those around us. We have a harmony with other believers because we have a right relationship with them. And the result will be joy because the Holy Spirit has allowed us to express that love and fellowship that we have in Christ in relation to each other. It says, when believers serve Christ in this way, they both please God and find approval with fellow believers. Then as you come down to verses 19 to 23, it says, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that would cause your brother to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep them to yourself between yourself and God. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But the man who has doubts is condemned if he eats because he's eating not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. So there's a picture of pursuing peace and progress. Make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification, to building each other up, to help us grow in our Christian life. Unity doesn't mean unanimity, that we're all alike. In fact, part of the growth process is being different and and learning from others and, and seeing what goes on that makes us think about and question what we're doing and why we're doing it. But there is a priority here, and that priority will require hard work. Do you notice that little phrase? It talks about, let us make every effort to do what leads to peace. It's not always an easy thing. Make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Uh, it's going to require hard work. The entire body of Christ is to pursue peace. It's, that is not, by the way, by avoidance and isolation. That's one of the dangers that's going on in our curtain setting. You know how we have peace? Anytime I see that person, I head the other way. I'm never going to get near them. Okay? There's some people you shouldn't spend too much time with. But this is talking about as believers in the body of Christ, you ought to be able to interact with, learn from, and appreciate people you even strongly disagree with. And so it's not by avoidance or isolation. It's the process of interaction and growth. Uh, Believe it or not, we can learn from each other. Every once in a while, doesn't some little kid teach you a lesson? You you watch them and say, man, they get it. I didn't get it. You know, you could learn from somebody this high. And same thing for other people. You learn from them. Um, Common sense often comes from people that don't have the highest degrees or intellect, but have a common sense for everyday responses. We can learn from each other. And that includes the painful process of getting along with those whom we differ and knocking the rough edges off each other. Again, if I speak to you that are married, one of, the married th- one of the things you learn in married life is to adjust, right? They're different than me. There are certain things we are never going to agree on. We do them different, but I can appreciate 
how they do it and why. And in the process, I've learned to do some of the things that they do because I see the value of it, even though I would have never done it on my own because I don't even think that way. Well, that ought to be characteristic of the body of Christ. And we commit ourselves to working in love to produce a unified body that demonstrates the diversity of God's wonderful work, the church. From every race and background and education level and, and political party and you name it, the body of Christ is a very diverse and wonderful group of people. See, and there's supposed to be growth or progress, mutual edification. Are you committed to growing and helping other people grow in their Christian life? I'm afraid an awful lot of Christians are satisfied. Well, I accepted Jesus as Savior. I'm going to heaven. Now I'm going on with life. And never think anything about God and growing and, and living out their faith in a way that makes a valuable impact to other people. See, knowledge and love must work together to help a person grow. We know it in parenting. There's, some, there's certain things you want to teach them and you expect, but at the same time, you want them to know that they're loved no matter what, right? Same thing of growing up in the body of Christ. There's certain behavior that's unacceptable. There's certain things you ought to know. But you're loved by God despite your failures and your shortcomings. And you're loved by us as people. Because we need to love one another. So knowledge and love must work together to help a person grow. Strong believers need to grow in love. Weak believers need to grow in knowledge and understanding. And we need to be willing to subordinate our preferences and desires to promote the well-being of the whole fellowship. It's good to be strong in the faith. You see Paul here saying, I'm fully convinced any of these foods doesn't matter what I eat. There's nothing, it's, they don't affect me in one way or another. It's great to have, be strong in the faith. It's great to be emancipated in, in our conscience. But it's better to be concerned about the body of the whole growing than it is just me doing what I enjoy. So there's three keys laid out in this passage, starting with verse 21, that are keys to pursuing peace and progress. First one is, limit your freedom. Act out of love rather than out of self-insistence on doing what I feel free to do. Freedom gives you a great deal of privilege, but it also brings with it obligation. Use and limit our freedom to help others grow. Not, you don't limit your freedom just because somebody else doesn't like it and they'd wish you didn't do that. Um, there's some other people that don't like what you do and wish you'd never do it, but, but are you hindering them? Are you causing them to sin? Are you causing them to fall back in their faith? That's just an area where you just have to disagree. Keep your opinions private. Christians may not force their opinions on others. Now, this area that it's talking about is areas of disputable matters. And let me say to you, that doesn't mean you can't express your ideas and your opinions. Okay? There's a place for expressing ideas and opinions and try to come to understanding and to learn from each other. But when it's clear that you disagree, 
There's no use just being confrontational for, con- for the sake of confrontation. Some people like to be confrontational. That's their approach to everything. See if I can push your buttons and rile you up and get you going. And You know how young they learn that? The twins are a fun one to watch with that. They know how to make each other mad. All I got to do is do this and then he'll get in trouble. You know? And every other kid learned that. You know how to get your siblings in trouble. Some Christians are that way and they're, they're dealing with other people. Just push their buttons, see if I can get them all. There's a warning here. We need to try to express our opinions in neutral, non-judgmental language. You don't convince people by being adversarial. And in fact, enjoy your freedom in, prob- in private. If it's something that offends somebody, go ahead and enjoy it. You're not hiding it, for, but you don't need to flaunt it in somebody's face. If it comes up, it's fine. You say, I'm convinced of this, and this is how I operate. I have no problem with that. But, but overall, you're keeping your opinions and your activities that are disputable matters private. And then in the second half of verse 22 and 23, it says, act in faith. Confidence that one is free to make use of what God has created and set apart for man to enjoy. Um, In other words, you have a sense of right and wrong in some areas, and some of it is not totally based on Scripture. But if you act on things that you believe is wrong, you begin to harden or desensitize your conscience. You need to correct and inform your conscience. If the way you're operating isn't consistent with biblical principles, then you need to change it. But you don't want to desensitize your conscience. You don't want to do things that you believe to be sinful and and act on it, even though really it might not be a sin, but in your mind what you're doing is you are desensitizing your commitment to live to honor the Lord. So heed what our sense of right and wrong requires us to do. We're responsible to, to God, obviously clearly for his standards, but also for those things that we believe would best honor him, even if they aren't spelled out in in scripture. And those are areas where people are going to differ. And he says, you know, isn't it a blessed thing to have a clear conscience? A couple different times in life I can think back and remember some times when I did something that really wasn't wrong in and of itself, but I didn't make some other people aware of it that I should have. And it just eats at you. Till eventually you go talk to them and clear it up. And boy, it's just kind of like the, the burden's dropped. You ought to live life with a clear conscience. And some people feel guilty about everything. even when, And you need to correct your conscience and get it to biblical standards. And, and don't go around feeling guilty about everything out there. But at the same time, don't desensitize your conscience. Live with a clear conscience. And, and Proverbs talks great about the, the blessing of sleeping and, and resting with a clear conscience. So here's this little reminder. We are loyal subjects of Christ. He died and rose again to make us a very diverse group of people part of his family. He wants the church to be a family that gets along and helps each other to grow up. And that's plain hard work. It means making God's kingdom the priority. It means being clear in our own convictions, but also out of love willing to limit the exercise of our freedom. It means 
keeping our opinions to ourselves on many occasions, especially on disputable manners. Are you always right? This isn't about right and wrong, but I have to throw it in. Do you always have to put the last text on the text phone? No matter who sets you the message, you always have the last, you have to send something back. You can't just let them be the last one that texts. None of you have that issue, do you? We have things that we are almost obsessive about. See, if you think you're always right, then truthfully, you need to grow up, get over yourself, and be willing to learn and to be a spiritual parent. Help others grow. Help others learn. One things I always appreciate about my dad, he had very strong opinions, <laughs> and he would let you know about them. But he would listen to you, and he was willing to learn. And he'd, he'd say, well, persuade me, because I'm going to try to persuade you. And he, so one of the healthy things in the life of our church was to watch dad and I disagree on things and be able to argue about it. But when the decision was made as a church, we stood together. Because that's what the body of Christ does. Some of us are very strongly opinionated. Others, you wouldn't say anything confrontational to anybody. But as part of the body of Christ, we have to be willing to love one another. And do so in a manner that recognizes those differences. Believers can disagree on non-essentials and still be united in the church. Famous phrase that I left on the end there says, In essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, and in all things love. Love one another as part of the body of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you are our Lord and Savior and Master. We may be committed to serving you, to loving your family, to help each other to grow in our faith and in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn your hymn books to 402, and let's stand and sing Like a River Glorious together. Like a river glorious is God's perfect peace over all victorious in its bright increase. Perfect yet it floweth fuller every day. Perfect yet it groweth deeper all the way. Stayed upon Jehovah, hearts are fully blessed, finding as he promised. Perfect peace and rest Hidden in the hollow of his blessed hand
law, never traitor stand. Not a surge of worry, not a shade of care, not a blast of hurry, touch the spirit there. Stayed upon Jehovah, hearts are holy promised perfect peace and rest at the end of this third verse we'll sing that chorus without the piano okay every joy or trial falleth from above trace upon our dial by the son of love we may trust him fully, all for us to do. They who trust him wholly, find him wholly true. Stayed upon Jehovah, hearts are fully blessed, finding as he promised. Perfect peace and rest. Father, we find our peace and rest in you through the Lord Jesus Christ. We're thankful for that blessed relationship that brings everything else into focus. Help us as a result of our commitment to you to pursue peace one with another to help each other grow in our faith and to go from here ready to serve you in even greater ways. In Jesus' name, amen.